Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So it's become a cliche to say that the English word love means lots of different things, right? So I love my wife, I love my puppy, I love ice cream. You know, there's probably different nuances to the way, hopefully different nuances to the way I love each, each one of, of those things. I, I looked at the American Heritage Dictionary to see what they say the definition of love is. And they have like eight or nine definitions. I just wanna highlight for you the top four definitions. And there's a, there's a common word to all of these top four definitions. This is your quiz for the morning. See if you can identify the common word. Um, Love is, number one, a strong feeling of affection and concern toward another person as that arising from kinship or close friendship. Number two, a strong feeling of affection and concern for another person accompanied by sexual attraction. Number three, a feeling of devotion or adoration toward God or a God. And number four, a feeling of kindness or concern by God or a God toward Humans, top four definitions. What common word do you see in all of this? Feeling, right? Feelings, yeah, sure. So I don't know about you, but my feelings fluctuate. I mean, my feelings of love fluctuate, um, except maybe for ice cream. That, that doesn't fluctuate a whole lot. But my, my love for my dog fluctuates because my dog is sometimes just downright annoying. Um, my wife sometimes thinks differently than I do. And so I, you know, it's a little harder to, to love. So feelings fluctuate. Jesus called us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said that's the most important thing that we need to learn how to do, love God. And secondly, to love our neighbors. He said those are the most important things. So if we apply these definition, this definition of love to God and to our neighbors, then what's gonna happen? I mean, we're, we're gonna ebb and flow in our love because our feelings ebb and, and flow. Sometimes we're just not gonna feel it. And that makes it really hard to be obedient to what Jesus called us to do. Well, here's the thing. Our English definition of love and really our culture's concept of love is not the same as God's concept of, of love. And so, as is the case with so, so many areas of our life, we need to be retrained and corrected to understand the way God thinks over and above the way our culture and our world around us thinks. Because Jesus also said this. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So we better know what love is supposed to look like if the people around us are looking to see what, what it looks like to be a follower of, of Jesus. 
if we love only when we feel like it, then we're gonna look just like the rest of the world, the rest of, of people around us. But if we learn to love like God loves, then we can be difference makers in the world. We can be difference makers in our workplace. We can be difference makers even in our homes and our neighborhoods. Let's learn how to do that. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. We're starting a new series today, carrying on our, our theme of love. It's called Perfect Love. We've, we've been carrying this theme of love the whole year since the beginning of, of 2022. We started with love is greater than fear. And then we finished our study in the Gospel of Luke with no greater love. There's no greater love that was demonstrated for us than Jesus' sacrifice for us. Then we talked about love outside of our walls. What does it look like to bring love into our community? And then we spent the summer looking at the life of David. And, uh, and we called that series Beloved because David, the, the name David means beloved. And if I could summarize that whole series in, in just a sentence, I, I would say it this way, that God demonstrates his love for us not by removing challenges from our lives, but by carrying us through those challenges. We see that in, in the life of David, his beloved. So for the next six weeks, we're gonna look to a very well-known passage and to, to learn what love is from God's perspective. So let's start in 1 Corinthians 13 with verse four. <laughs> love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So that's a description of love. Sometimes it's helpful to read the same verses in different translations because it gives you a little bit different nuance. So we'll put up on the screen here these verses from the New Living Translation. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And one more translation, the Amplified Bible. I don't know if you've ever read the Amplified Version. This is really helpful because it, it kind of expands on nuances of the different words. It's almost like a study Bible, um, a, a mini study Bible. Love endures long and is patient and, and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. <laughs> it does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. 
Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. So chances are, if you've ever been to a wedding, I'm gonna run down here and get my water, you have probably heard these verses read at a wedding. And oftentimes, we look at this passage as a, kind of a hymn to love. It's kind of a celebration of what perfect love is supposed to look like. I wanna offer you a, a thesis this morning that counters that concept of these verses. So I'm gonna offer you my thesis, I'm gonna defend my thesis, and it's important because it leads to a very practical application, a deep application in our lives. Here's my thesis, okay? I propose that these verses are not a celebration, but actually a correction. It's not a celebration of what love is supposed to be, it's a correction because we don't do love very well. So. When it comes to loving others, we all need correction. See, if, if these verses, if this description was just a celebration of love, then we could just look at it and say, oh, that's nice. You know, it just kind of makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Let's slap it on a coffee mug and just kind of go about our business. But if it's a correction, then it should rattle us, it should jar us, and it should tell us that Jesus' command, if his top command is to love God and love people around us, we have some work to do to be able to carry that out. So, let me defend my thesis. Why do I say it is a correction? Well, because it lands right in the middle of a letter that is all about correction. The letter to the church in Corinth, this whole letter of 1 Corinthians, it is full of correction. See, when we lift verses out of context, they may sound nice, but we, miss, we can miss the whole point when we take them out of their context. And the context here is all about correction because the church at Corinth is a mess. So right out of the gate in chapter one, we'll put these verses up on the screen Right out of the gate, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, while I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So Paul spends three chapters correcting them about these factions. He says, this is so petty. I mean, Christ is the center. We should all be about, I am a follower of Christ. Not any person, no person is good enough, perfect enough, strong enough to say, I'm a follower of this person. We are all following Christ. And so Paul corrects them about this. And then he's gonna go on and correct them about a whole bunch of other things. He's gonna correct them about sexual immorality that's going on right in the church. He's gonna correct them about taking a fellow believer to court. 
He's gonna correct them about selfishness in marriage. He's even gonna correct them about using their God-given gifts in a way that they're trying to one-up each other. Well, my gift is better than yours. I mean, it just goes to show you can twist anything. The best gifts that God gives us, you can twist them around and make them selfish. So this whole letter, everything up to 1 Corinthians 13 is correction. Everything after 1 Corinthians 13 is correction. So let's start actually at the beginning of chapter 13 with some verses that typically are not read at weddings. Okay, starting in verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Please note that Paul is highlighting here activities that we typically celebrate in, in the church or in our faith community. He's, he's talking about speaking. I mean, that's something, we, we consider that so important that we devote a huge chunk of our time when we gather like this to worship together, we devote a huge chunk of our time to someone speaking and teaching out of, out of God's word. He talks about understanding mysteries and, and knowledge. We devote a lot of time to that. That's one of the reasons why you're here this morning. That's one of the reasons why you go to a small group to wrestle with what does God's word mean and then how do I apply it in my life? I mean, these are things we give tons of energy to. We celebrate faith in verse two, faith that moves mountains. When we see God do miraculous things, we celebrate that. When, when someone gives sacrificially, I mean, that's something we, we celebrate. We follow the model of Jesus. Paul, in every single one of these cases, Paul says, you can do these good deeds and they can mean nothing. Paul, are you kidding me? How, how can that possibly be? Well, it's because love is the indispensable common denominator to everything that we do. I mean, that makes sense if Jesus' greatest command is to love God and love others, right? To love our neighbors. I mean, love is the common denominator. Here's what that means. It means that you can move people with your words, but if you don't have love in your heart, then it's just noise. I mean, you, you know this. I mean, you've, you've heard people speak in a way that's moving, but leads them actually to hate. I only have to say the word Hitler to say here's a charismatic speaker, someone who moved people, motivated people to do things, but he was moving them to hate. You can have a deep understanding and insight into the truths of God, but without love, it leads to pride. I mean, in this very same letter, Paul says in, in chapter eight, verse one, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge, gaining knowledge can be all about puffing ourselves up. Love is all about building others up around us. We can have mountain moving faith. We, we can be self-sacrificing, sacrifice everything without love. There is no credit to our account. 
So Paul is correcting a misperception that many people have about the life of faith and about the life of following Jesus. And the misperception is that if I do the right things, then I'll be in favor with God. And Paul says, you can do all the right things, but if your heart is not right, it doesn't count for anything. So he says, don't give your primary energy to what you do. Give your primary, because you can do things without love, but if you give your heart to love, then you're gonna do the right things. And they will work together. Unfortunately, Christ followers are not always great at having a good heart attitude under the things that we do. Um, Back at the beginning of the year, I quoted a study that's worth re-quoting here. It's a Barna study that was done in 2019 that was all about uh, non-believers and the the perception of non-believers and Uh, evangelicals, so we would be considered evangelicals because we believe the Bible to be God's word and we're seeking to understand it and obey it. So this is all about perceptions of evangelicals. So the, the, the one question was, which of the following words, if any, would you use to describe evangelicals in general? So caring, friendly, generous. When Evangelicals were asked that. We felt pretty good about that. So we're, you know, we're, we're doing good. I mean, D is not great, but at least, you know, we're over 50%. But when you compare that to non-Christians, very bad, okay? Like less than, than 10%. They, they do not, that's not the first thing that comes to their mind is caring, friendly, and generous when they think about us. And then the other question, what is your overall perception or opinion of evangelicals? Again, when evangelicals ask, like that, that blue bar, if you can't see the words there, that the blue bar is very positive. So very positive, then somewhat positive, neutral, somewhat negative, and very negative. When non-believers were asked, it was exact inverse. So that means what we see is that the majority of non-believers have a very negative opinion of, of evangelicals. And so what that tells us is we have a lot of work to do. If Jesus said that they'll, they'll know we are his followers by our love, they, uh, that doesn't seem to be what is, is coming up on their radar screen. Too often, we are not good at loving even people who are relatively lovable. But Jesus calls us to go beyond that and to love those who are hard to love. So Jesus says in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. (coughs) But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. We are called to love even those who are difficult to love. The theological dictionary of the New Testament kind of summarizes love this way. As Christ followers, we are to show love without expecting it to be returned. Lend where there is little hope of repayment and give without reserve or limit. That's not easy. That's not an easy way to love. And so when it comes to loving others, I think we all need some correction. We all have room to grow. And so Paul gives us not a definition of love, but a description of love even a a demonstration of love, if you will. Definitions are kind of static. 
Sometimes they're kind of academic, up for interpretation. Paul, instead of doing that, he, he paints us a picture and a living illustration so that you and I can't squirm out from underneath what God is asking of us over a technicality. That, let's read these verses again, starting in verse four, this description of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy a bush. Let, let's read it this way, because we've read it several times already. I wanna read the inverse of it, because this is where it gets convicting, and just see if you might have any room to grow here. How often are we impatient and unkind? How often do we envy or boast? How often are we arrogant or rude? How often do we insist on our own way? How often are we irritable or resentful? How often do we rejoice at wrongdoing and we set aside the truth because it's difficult or inconvenient? How often do we not bear up under all things? Do we not believe the best in all things? Do we give up hope? Do we give up in enduring this definition of love? This description of love is really more about what love is not than what it is. This, this is not a fluffy celebration of love. It's a correction because we don't do love very well naturally. We're gonna begin to dig into the specifics of this next week. Um, and we're gonna take our time. We're gonna go pretty slowly because it's kind of slow to sink in, at least for, for me. Um, but before we do that, I wanna encourage you with something this morning that when I say it is not gonna sound encouraging. This description of love that we've read and, and looked at here this morning, you and I are incapable of loving this way. Okay, why do I say that's encouraging? Okay, that's the most encouraging thing you've heard all month. Why do I say that's encouraging? Because it would, it would be a moralistic sermon for you today if I said to you, okay, now we see what love is. Now go get busy. Let's do it. If I told you to, to do that, then one of three things would happen. First, you would just ignore the whole thing and you just go on your blissful way and just have a great week and I shudder to think how often that happens week, week after week. So anyway, hopefully you don't do that. But secondly, you say, okay, I'm gonna work really hard at this. I'm gonna work really hard at love this week. And then you fall short somewhere. And then you just kind of excuse it. You're like, yeah, well, anybody in my situation, that's, that's what would happen. The third thing that would happen, could happen, is that you go work really hard, you fall short, and then you beat yourself up. And you feel discouraged. Because you're like, wow, what's the use of even trying? Because I can't do this. That's the, that's the moralistic option. If I told you, go try really hard. Let me give you the grace option. And this applies, by the way, to every command that God has given us. Because at the end of the day, you and I are incapable of obeying any command that God has given us consistently all the time. So this grace option applies to all of those. The first part of this is to recognize that I fall short. It's just recognizing I can't do this. Receive the correction. Okay, God, you're right. This is the best way to do this and I can't do it myself. The second thing when we realize that we can't do it is to, to trust and to thank God for his forgiveness 
for his grace, that he, he will wash away every sin, every shortcoming that we have. And then thirdly, to say, okay, God, would you now teach me? Would you grow me? Would you live the life of Christ in me? See, this is, this is why you and, I, you and I can't love on our own. It's not about your willpower. It's about God's power in you. It's about Christ's power in you to do the things that you cannot do on your own. And so another kind of thought that came to me this week that is along these lines, um, and this may sound a little corny to you, but it kind of fell out as I was studying here. Maybe it'll be helpful to somebody. God's grace creates space so that we can face what's out of place. God's grace creates space so that you and I can face what's out of place in our lives. Apart from God's grace, I mean, we're, it, it's ugly. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, we fall so far short in so many areas. It is downright discouraging. But because God offers his grace and forgiveness, it creates a space to say, okay, God, here's the ugly truth about me. I'm, I'm gonna face that with you knowing that your forgiveness is available to me. And this is out of place, God. Would you come and, and start fixing it in me? So we receive correction. We thank God for his forgiveness. And then we say, God, live your life in me. That's what we wanna do over the next six weeks as we're thinking about love. God's, I'm sorry, Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 does three things for us. First, it helps us understand God better because John tells us in 1 John 4, 8 that God, he says very simply, God is love. So then if we come back to this description of love, I've heard people say this before and I think this is a fun exercise, is you can substitute the word God for the word love. So we can say, God is patient, God is kind. God does not envy, he does not boast, and, and so on and so forth. It's a description, it, it gives us a, a picture of who God is. The second thing that 1 Corinthians 13 does for us is it, it paints an illustration of God's love for us, which was perfectly demonstrated in the sacrifice of Christ. So again, in, in 1 John, 1 John 3, 16 says, by this we know love, not a feeling, but that Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So love is not a feeling, it's an act of, of service. And Jesus did this not for lovely people or lovable people, but for us when we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we learn to love God's way by by experiencing his love for us by marinating in it. I love, I love to use that word because it's, it's such a great picture of if you, if you marinate some, some meat before you're gonna cook it, you, you smother it, right? It's just soaked in it over a long period of time because you want that flavor to permeate into that, that meat. We, we need God's love to permeate into us. You, you don't get that 
by just a quick flyby. You don't get that, sorry, by just coming here on Sunday morning and sitting. I know half an hour sounds like, a, it seems like a torturous time to sit and listen this long, but that's not enough. You need to marinate in this on a regular basis. And what a beautiful assignment. What a, what a beautiful assignment to take time to let something soak in that is so beautiful. It's kind of like if I said to you, your assignment for this week is to go to Tyler Park for an hour and just soak in the beauty. Don't do that today, okay? It's like gross and rainy and stuff like that. You go on a sunny day when it's beautiful outside and you can just see the, the, the sunshine through the leaves and the colors and all that. To soak that in, what a beautiful assignment. I mean, who wouldn't wanna do that? That's what we're talking about when we talk about marinating in God's love. The, the third thing that 1 Corinthians 13 does for us is it paints an illustration of God's expectation for us to love the people around us. And so uh, there's a great summary at the end of this letter, 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 14. <laughs> Let all that you do be done in love. Everything you do. I mean, that's kind of back to Paul's, what he said at the beginning of chapter 13. I can speak, I can give, I can exercise faith, I can do all of these things. Let everything you do be done in love. And so here's what I would encourage us as we are responding to Paul's correction this week. First of all, just to acknowledge, just to, just to acknowledge the truth. God, I fall short. I, I'm sorry. You, you are asking for perfection. Perfection is the beautiful thing that we wanna achieve. I can't do that on my own. So we, we acknowledge that. Uh, we acknowledge that oftentimes we are prone to do the, the opposite of what he calls us to do for love. And then just repent, ask him for his forgiveness. He's so, so ready to offer it to us. And then say, God, would you help me, help me do all that I do in love. Use this verse. God, may all that I do be done in love. And you can personalize this to your situation this week. Let, let this, like fill in the blank, let this conversation that I'm gonna have be done in love. Let this thing I'm gonna say to someone be done in love. Let this act of service <coughs> be done in love. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's an act of service you need to do in your home or in your workplace and you're just not feeling it. Maybe there's something you need to do for somebody, you're just not feeling it. God, let, let this act of service be done in love. Let this gift be given in love. We've had a lot of asks recently. Just this morning, we talked about our, our trunk or tree. We talked about Operation Christmas Child. We have our holiday offering coming up around the corner. It is possible to give generously and very mechanically. It's possible to just give. It's even possible to give selfishly because you're, you're giving and saying, well, God, now look what I've done for you. What are you gonna do for me? Paul says, let, let this gift be given in love for the good of the other person, regardless of what it costs me. We have the opportunity over the next six weeks to learn how to love better God's way. Let, let's do that so that the culture around us 
that really has a very distorted view of what love is can, can see something different and something beautiful in us that would actually draw them to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your tremendous love for us, demonstrated so sacrificially in, in the giving of Christ life on the cross for us so that we could be cleansed from the mistakes that we make, including the mistakes we make, how we fall short in this area of love. Lord, if we were faced with the totality and the reality of all of our sin and how far short we fall, we would be overwhelmed. The only way we can face that is because of your grace and the offer of forgiveness that you make to us. So Lord, help us uh, not to become bogged down in our failures, but Lord, help us to embrace the empowerment that you offer to us to love better because our world desperately, desperately needs it. Thank you for your great love for us. Lord, may your love permeate every part of us and change us so that we can be a change agent in this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.